Hello, I'm Alexia, and let me help you to take the fear out of birth with a mix of real-life positive birth stories and birthing experts sharing their wisdom. I'll also be sharing techniques for getting into the fearless birthing mindset. And join the Fearless Mumship community for bonus podcast episodes, access to free birth preparation downloads, and loads more stuff to help you to prepare for a positive birth. Join today at fearfreechildbirth.com. Hello and welcome back to the Fear Free Childbirth Podcast. This is me, your host, Alexia Leitrim. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now, on today's show, we're going to be talking about the psychology of pregnancy, birth and motherhood, which sounds like a little bit of a meaty topic. And I guess it is really. And it's also a topic that I don't think is talked about enough. You know, when you think about pregnancy, birth, motherhood, that is such an epic journey for an individual to undertake. And it's no surprise, really, that there are some psychological implications with such a transition. And so today I want to really talk about that and lift the lid on it a bit. And I'm going to be joined by Leah Butler-Smith, who is a therapist, a coach, who's had a successful practice in Harley Street for a number of years and has worked with all sorts of women on the whole of that motherhood pregnancy journey. So together we're going to be really unpicking the psychology of pregnancy and looking at the fears, looking at how fears can impact fertility, miscarriage, but also how they can play a part in your birth. And we're also going to be talking about pain management and she's got a really great tip technique, whatever you're going to call it, to help you to manage pain during birth. So it really is a fascinating chat. And Leah shares so much, um, what do you call it, wisdom, insight, whatever you want to call it, really interesting stuff to help you to understand the psychology of pregnancy much more. So if you're pregnant, you are going to love this. Now, before I go to that, if you're pregnant, are you registered for the Fearless Birth Prep Challenge? If you're not, why not? It starts in a week. So it's not too late to register. So what is the Fearless Birth Prep Challenge? Well, if you're pregnant, this is a five-day challenge that I'm going to be running from the 12th of June. And this is to help you to cut through all the overwhelming stuff on Google, help you to prepare for your birth and get a clear plan in place so that you can feel confident about what lies ahead. So we're going to be doing lots of Facebook lives in the Fear Free Childbirth Facebook group that week. You're going to have some little exercises every day to do to help you with your birth prep so that when you get out at the other end of the five-day challenge, you'll have a much clearer idea as to how to prepare for your birth. So that is what we've got planned for next week. So if you want to register for the Fearless Birth Prep Challenge, then go to fearfreechildbirth.com forward slash challenge and you are going to be part of the Fearless Birth Prep gang. So that is it. So it's all going to be happening inside the Fear Free Childbirth Facebook group. But don't worry, if you're not on Facebook, you'll be getting stuff on email as well. So uh, if you're not in the Fear Free Childbirth Facebook group, where are you? Come and join us. We have lots and lots of people joining us at the moment. Lots of really great conversations in there as well. So do come and join us in the Fear Free Childbirth Facebook group. You can link to it straight from the Fear Free Childbirth Facebook page. It's all happening there. So anyway, that is it for the announcement for today. So I'm going to go back now and hand over to the time that I spoke to Leah Butler-Smith all about the psychology of pregnancy. I hope you enjoy it. It's a good one. It really is. Hello, Leah, and welcome to the Fear Free Childbirth podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hello, Alexia. I'm very happy to be here. Now, you are a breakthrough coach. You help people basically to clear all that head trash that stands between them and the life and business of their dreams. In a nutshell... But you've also done loads of stuff with birth. And that's why I really want to have you on today's Fear Free Childbirth podcast. So welcome, welcome, welcome. 
And, and I'm really, really happy to talk about this subject. It's obviously something that's close to many of our hearts. And uh, having just not too long ago been with a lovely lady who is giving birth, it's fresh in my mind. Perfect, perfect. Well, there's so much. We've already been talking quite a bit before I press record. So I've got a little bit of a sense of the kind of things we're going to talk about. So just for the listeners, just to let them know what's coming, we're going to be talking about pain management, which is a biggie for a lot of my listeners, I know. And we're also going to be talking about the role of fear that might be playing infertility. And I'm sure we're going to talk about loads of other things, actually, because based on the fact that Leah and I have been chatting for quite a bit before I press record, I just think it's going to be one of those kind of chats. So um, before we start, Leah, I think what would be really great is if you just maybe introduce yourself, tell the listeners a little bit more than what I've already said about who you are and how you came to do the kind of work that you do today. Well, thank you very much. Um, It kind of, the, the original seed was sown for my urge to learn more about the mind and particularly the unconscious mind when my son, my eldest son, Um, was suffering from a food phobia. And that's not something that many doctors even recognise. It's something they're still, I think, unbelievably ignorant of, sadly. And I went to Great Ormond Street eventually, but it took me four years of fighting to actually get there. And I just remember having this moment of epiphany where I realised that there's these two parts to the mind. It's not just a mind or a brain or, you know, this thing that's traveling around inside us telling us what we should or shouldn't do that actually you can separate the mind into the conscious parts that are you know doing the the here and now stuff and the unconscious that's got all this other stuff going on and you can have programming in there that can stop you from doing sane sensible things like eating food and of course the doctors kept saying to me but children don't starve and it's not possible they simply won't um you're just doing something wrong (laughs) Um, and then luckily my sister bless her actually sent me a uh, not a link gosh it was before the days of links she sent me a phone number um to a help center and it was actually for eating disorders and I was a bit horrified but I thought actually yeah I think I'm gonna call them and oh my gosh it was the first time anyone actually listened to me heard what I was saying had full empathy for what I was saying and actually were really concerned and said right we're sending you straight to Great Ormond Street this is a serious um concern And when we got to Great Ormond Street, which in and of itself was another battle with the doctors, but they went straight into embarrassed and uh, panic mode and did blood tests and all sorts of things and discovered that he was remarkably iron deficient. And I thought, really? (laughs) Have you not heard a word I've said for four years? Um, And so, yeah, Great Ormond Street went through this. We had this pile of papers and they started going through the questions and then they just stopped and they said, your son has a food phobia. And I was like, oh, how did we come to this conclusion? And it was at the point where they had asked if he was ever sick as a baby. And he unfortunately did have some um, esophageal issues, which is not an uncommon thing. Basically, to me and you, heartburn. Uh, But it was severe enough that it actually embedded in his mind a fear of of what he at the time connected. So this is an important thing, actually, just because hopefully it it will be, if you like, a foundation for what we talk about as we go along how our minds work so in his mind he couldn't rationalize because he wasn't mature enough mentally with what was actually physically happening to him he didn't know why it was happening he just knew that there was a connection between eating something and having this pain and so his mind said well let's not do that anymore uh, but he didn't imme- he didn't just stop eating everything altogether he just started to become incredibly controlling so he was trying to control the things that he perceived were dangerous the things that could co- you know cause him harm 
And again, all of this wasn't, this wasn't happening on a conscious level, again, because he's sort of like one years old. You know, he wasn't sitting there having a conversation with himself going, well, that was painful. I think I'll avoid that next time. It was definitely from the irrational mind, and that's what our unconscious is. So he developed all these behaviours um, and so on and so on. And it took us a year to get him back to starting to eat i mean at 30 which is what he is now i know i don't look old enough <laughs> and alexia is the only person who can see me um but he he did he, he had to you know go through all sorts of hoops to get himself back but it, it just triggered this enormous interest i just had this fascination and i thought wow there's just there must be loads of things that we do like that there there are things that we're reacting to in life that we don't know why we're reacting to it the way we are and it's because something is happening or has happened uh, and it's lodged itself as a, as a fear and an anxiety the thing is before that happened um even when i was like an early teen i had this desire to be a what i now know is kind of like a therapist or a coach but i didn't have a word for it back then i just knew that i really liked helping people so I was always trying to help my friends if they I'd ask lots of questions, I'd listen intently, uh, but I didn't know how to do it with with um, real you know skill, if you like. I'd, uh, but it was very useful because, of course, anybody likes to be listened to and feel heard. So and also my father has had mental health problems his entire life. And I knew about some of those when I was a kid, but I didn't understand it. And so rather than being terrified of that, I wanted to uh, to learn. I wanted to learn more about it. And so that that's what sowed the seeds, if you like, for what then later became my profession. And it was probably only about maybe eight years later, I was in full-time practice. Uh, and then I moved from my practice in Chelmsford, which is where I live, and uh, started a practice in London in Harley Street, which became very successful and brilliant absolutely i mean you, you learn more as you know alexia from mm. the people you're working with than you ever do from a textbook or even a trainer because it's the experiences that you have that teach and so all of my clients taught me so much mm. so what kind of clients did you mainly work with was it was a whole gamut of issues or were there sort of niche areas that you did help people with um, well, it was because we didn't even really start with the internet. I mean, I was I was doing this before the internet was really the thing. Uh, so, you know, you'd have a Yellow Pages ad that just kind of had a shopping list. Wow. <laughs> of the sorts of starting with A, anger, agoraphobia, you know, anxiety. Uh, because I was, um, am a clinically trained deep analytical hypnotherapist. Um, so that's quite specialized and goes a lot deeper it's a lot more powerful i've lost count of the amount of people that i worked with who may have had therapy before uh as an example one lady i worked with in our our first session had um what we call an ab reaction she cried um but it was uh, because she was letting go of something she'd released something she was releasing something very very uh, potent very powerful and she said to me in through her tears she was saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Like most people think that would be crazy. You know, why is that person thanking you when they're crying? I've been bought a Louis Vuitton handbag for doing that as well. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was quite cool. Uh, but this, yeah, so this particular lady, she said to me, Joe, you know I've had four years of psychoanalysis. I can't say the word. Psychoanalysis. Psychoanalysis. Yeah. Um, once a week, sometimes twice. And I've just got more from this one session with you than I've mm. ever got from all of that 
She said it was useful. I'm not. She said I'm not putting it down. It was very helpful. I learned a lot about myself. She said, but nothing ever changed. And she said, I already know something's changed. I already know. She hadn't even left the session. Mm-hmm. And when you see that kind of thing over and over and over again, you start to think, okay, this is really this is really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it worked for me as well because personally, I did go to uh, counselling because you need to unload your own stuff uh, before you start um, poking around in other people's minds because you can accidentally transfer your issues onto other people uh, in the form of opinion or anxiety or whatever so I, I went down that route and I actually went in not depressed and came out depressed like <laughs> medically depressed I thought that's not good uh, so I went to see a hypnotherapist because I thought well, it's ridiculous to see somebody who's not in the same strain of, of work that I'm training in at, at that time I've done lots and lots of training like yourself Alexia you continue with your um, professional development and I um, saw a hypnotherapist and for me also it was profoundly life-changing uh, profoundly so mm-hmm. well thank you for that now one thing you said a minute ago or maybe three minutes ago was how the body or the mind can start making us change our behaviors from something that happened early on that maybe we're not really aware of and I kind of want to use that as a maybe lead into talking about how the link between potential fears around birth and infertility because we talked off mic about how you've worked with many women with fertility issues and it transpired to be fears would you mind talking a little bit more about that yeah absolutely um i just i give you i love to tell stories it's actually how i use, uh, usually talk to people who want to you know potentially book a session and they'll say i'll say what what can i help you with and they'll tell me the problem and then I'll, there's always a story of something very similar or if not the same and it really helps people to to understand what we're talking about so this particular lady had come to see me because she'd actually spent years trying to get pregnant and had gone down the route of fertility treatments which had been costing 20 odd thousand per what's the word cycle and each time it didn't work obviously and she had she didn't want to give up but she was getting close to the age where she felt that she needed to make a decision one way or the other Uh, So obviously my first thought was I don't know if she's actually here to sort of explore potentially literally giving up, um, but not giving up, you know, letting go of, letting go of that particular way of of bringing a child into her family. Um, And so I needed to work with her on that. So one of my first questions to her was, so uh, do you have any anxieties around, you know, having a baby? Do you, is there anything recognizable that sort of stands out that you're consciously aware of? Do you know if there are any of these fears? So we sort of talked about the various things that people can be afraid of, like pregnancy, like uh, bodies changing, like marriages and relationships changing, um, like giving birth and also then being a mother. So as we started to explore uh, and I said to her, so, you know, thinking about being a mother, what what comes to mind because sometimes people have relationship issues with their own mother and they therefore believe that there possibly might be a rip, rip you know it's going to repeat it's going to be a repeating pattern and they will become that bad parent uh, because they were taught by a bad parent and uh, the look of astonishment on her face was just I can still remember it to this day she was totally puzzled and confused and I you know want to poke a little bit more and ask her why she was looking at me that way and she said I haven't thought about it and I thought that's really interesting <laughs> you know you, you want you've spent thousands and thousands and thousands on having a baby and not once had she actually thought about being a mother 
because that was the next step on you know you have the baby you've got to become pregnant first have the baby and then you're going to be a mother and she just hadn't even considered it so as we began to explore that there were some mother issues uh, that she had and those definitely did seem to be they actually led to her, phys- her whole physiology was just tense around the idea of being mum in her case it was, it was as I say it wasn't preg- a pregnancy fear or even a giving birth fear it was a actually being a mother fear mm-hmm. uh, and the more we went down that rabbit hole the more we discovered and um pleased to say that she became pregnant with twins wow <laughs> so yeah so are there any so so based on that experience and I'm, I'm i'm sure you've worked with many other women like that that is would you would is it fair to say that you think that fertility one aspect of infertility could be these fears that we have around birth or pregnancy that are kind of stopping us on the really really deep level from from conceiving absolutely and i would even take it another step um sort of sideways not further but sideways which mm. is also women who have repeat miscarriages okay uh, there's the women who I've worked with who've then gone on to have successful pregnancies. It's after we've resolved some of their um, issues, their unconscious issues. So they have had a, you know, they'd have a strong enough desire to become pregnant, but then their body would be reacting to their, their fears and anxieties. It would seem. Obviously, I can't, you know, <laughs> scientifically prove that. Mm-hmm. But certainly from the experiences that I've had, the research that I've done, and the women I worked with, that would appear to be the case. So holding on to the pregnancy and having a successful pregnancy. And and then just even things that happen in pregnancy also, you know, I, I have worked with women after they've had a difficult pregnancy and then we've explored what they were thinking, what their mind was, was focusing on and some of the unconscious thoughts because unconscious thoughts kind of sit in a fog. So they're there and we know they're there and if we allow ourselves to kind of, you know, blow the, the mist away we can we can take a look at it and we can address it and we can be more consciously aware of it but for the majority of people those do sit behind this kind of this blur um and it's only when you work with somebody professional who knows how the mind works and knows what questions to ask that you can really sort of understand um how to get there how mm. to find what it is that's that's really causing the problem so yeah definitely from the fertility side of things i mean it, you no doubt have heard of how many women have gone through the processes of fertility treatment only to after they've had the baby or for some women they start the process and then they become pregnant naturally for others they have a pregnancy through the fertility treatment and then go on to have a pregnancy naturally as one of my cousins did successfully um, and because of that, she had a fascination with what her mind had been doing and why her mind had, if you like, got in the way of her being able to successfully become pregnant. So there, there are women I've worked with who've been diagnosed with physical problems and reasons why they're having some fertility challenges who've then still gone on to become pregnant. And, it, you know, it's, it's after the work that we've done. In fact, I was having referrals from some of the fertility clinics because they had an understanding of how stress is definitely having an impact on a woman's ability to relax into the whole process and the procedures that they go through. And also in their world, it's it's dealing with some of the other strains and stresses that come from trying to mm. become. Mm. And if you try to pick up a pen, what happens? You don't pick it up. <laughs> exactly. And that's one of the things that I would say to women who are trying to get pregnant. So if I were you, I'd stop trying. 
and just go and do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's, it's it's one of them things that I think because as a as a therapist and a coach, you that there's always a desire to make sure that you can not you can't guarantee anything because you can't guarantee the mind. You know, I've always said that to people. You can't ask a therapist for a guarantee. You can only ask them to guarantee their skills and expertise and their experience and and their willingness to help you do what you've asked them to do. You can't ask them to guarantee the outcome any more than you could ask um, the you know the the fertility clinics to guarantee their work, uh, which they wouldn't because then they'd be fearful of being sued if it didn't work out after you've paid them another twenty five grand, you know, or whatever. So you can't guarantee anything, but you do want there to be. You wish for the the thing that your client wants the most. You wish for that. I did work with a lady once who actually came for, for fertility. Um, and once we started to explore what her fears were, her biggest fear was that her husband would leave her because he was not in agreement with her having a child. She, he didn't want children. And he'd said it from the day one that he didn't want children. He was absolutely adamant about it, wasn't interested in any kind of um, family counselling or couple counselling to, to discover why. He just was no. And um, But she, when she first came to see me, that was that didn't that's not what she first spoke about. You know, very often that's why coaching is so important because you have to get to where you need to get to. Mm-hmm. And in her case, it was that she was so anxious that he was going to leave her that she couldn't and wouldn't become pregnant and I said you do need to make a decision here because you're fighting with yourself you know you're on the one hand I want to become pregnant I want to have a baby and on the other hand I can't the fear of becoming pregnant was bigger than the desire to become pregnant in her case because of what she would lose and I said you you need to speak about this with you I said I believe you can get pregnant probably perfectly well on your own without any help even from me um but you've got to deal with that first. So what other fears were popping up time and time again for you when you're working with women with uh, fertility or with miscarriage recurrent issues? One of them, which might seem very, what's the word, vain, um, is body change. The fear of their body changing so much that they would become as they would perceive ugly. Uh, It's it's obviously a ridiculous thing to think, but if it's what the person thinks and it's what they feel, then it's going to get in the way. It's a real anxiety. And in those women's uh, cases, not saying that was a, a really common fear, but it, it is definitely there. And especially with women whose identity, their identity is about how they look. So they they may be like famous on screen, on stage, uh, you know, singers, people whose physical appearance mattered to their career and to how they perceive themselves. Um, now, t- truth is, if, you, if you've if you got a lot of self-confidence and you believe in yourself, it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks. But obviously, we know that a lot of people who seek fame do so because they desperately want to feel that love. And it's fake, <laughs> as, you know, the people I've worked with would, would soon discover. But, um, yeah, so that's another thing is, is if, if it's going to have a massive impact on their future or their, per- their perception of what their future is going to be, then obviously they're going to have those anxieties as well. Um, and then other fears were relating to, like, for example, if a mother or an aunt had had a pregnancy with any, if, even if, say, for example, that one lady, um, her aunt was suffering from with some morning sickness, well, you know, probably morning 
afternoon and whatever uh she you know she was she was a bit pukey and it was before we really knew that there were little things like drinking ginger and eating before you get out of bed and stuff like that that you can do to really help help alleviate some of those symptoms or eating little and often and there's loads and loads of things that you can do to to alleviate that and we now understand but in those days you just put up with it you know and um she had this young the lady recalled a time when she was um just going actually starting her menstrual period so it was a big conversation um and there was a connection between menstruation obviously becoming fertile and the aunt being sick all the time and she she made that unconscious connection and became very fearful of it so she actually was quite sick during her periods as well um yeah so that there was a belief a strong belief that she had that those things were all interconnected and were naturally they were going or were going to happen to her so she didn't really fancy that very much and um that's what we were able to 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 deal with and she also was able to go on and become pregnant and not be sick <laughs> i just thought i just want to share a personal thing that i think might be relevant i was when i was trying to figure out a lot of my own personal crap throughout the years one thing that um i was when i when i was uh, young my parents divorced when i was four and i was I would change my brother's nappy, who was four years younger than me, while just as my dad was leaving. And what and what came to me, which clearly the subconscious came to some kind of crazy conclusion, was that at the age of four, I just lost my dad through divorce. And so loss was associated with me with changing nappies and mothering. And so I had a really deep-rooted fear of being a mother because I... I associated it with deep loss and being abandoned. And that was one thing that once I realised that, I had the aha moment. I was like, wow. I mean, that wasn't the only thing that was contributing to my my tocophobia, my fears by any means. But that was a massive one for me. Until I uncovered that one, I couldn't even picture myself having kids. Even though I knew on some level I wanted them, I couldn't even picture it. So that aha moment helped me to move forward just to picture the idea uh, of course, I had a lot more waiting for me to deal with in the future. But certainly, I just wanted to share that because it's interesting how the unconscious does make these really weird connections that we can't always foresee or understand. But once we start mm. unpicking, again, like you say, with the help of a professional, that some of this stuff can come to light and you just need to see it to realise what it is. And suddenly it kind of drops away. But until yeah. you get it pointed out, you, you, it just stays hidden, doesn't it? And has an impact on stuff. You don't really understand what's going on. It can be quite confusing. Yeah. Exactly, because we, we, we start searching for um, the things that we perceive to be obvious, you know. So, mm. oh, well, who do I know that's had a terrible pregnancy or who do I know that's had a bad birth or, you know, well, you look for the things that you think are obvious, but actually very often our biggest fears, uh, the ones that control more of our physical, physical and emotional lives, are actually from really early in life, so early that, um, you can't remember it consciously. You just have a, a, a sense of it. Mm. And that's why hypnosis is actually really useful. Trance work is really useful because it helps you to actually revisit experiences without having to be conscious or not conscious. <laughs> You're always conscious without having to be. What's the word? Without having to rationalize because mm. the unconscious mind is not rational. It doesn't understand what's real and what's imagined and of course you know the sciences now and have for many years now have um have been able to identify how powerful that actually is um this has got nothing to do with pregnancy but i just want to share a very quick story that nasa 
discovered um just you know there's a lot of uh this trending people are talking about habits and habit formation and mm-hmm. how to create a new habit and how to get rid of a habit and blah, blah. um what nasa did was they actually got their their astronauts to wear these glasses that they, they had these sort of peculiar slidey things across them and what it did was it turned the world upside down so it literally was reflecting everything upside down and they did that because they were suffering from such sickness in space that they were experimenting to see if doing something, you know, with the visual optical nerve and the transference into the brain and blah, 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 all this kind of thing. Uh, and so the world was upside down and they had to wear these glasses all day, every day. Um, and what they didn't expect to happen was after day 15 up to day 30. So it wasn't day 15 for all of them, but for, for some of them, it's from day 15 onwards. Their brain would say, well, this isn't right and turn everything up the other way even though they still had the glasses on and even though the glasses were still reflecting everything upside down, their brain would say, this is not right. This is how the world looks and just popped it back up the right, the right way. What they then discovered was if they took the glasses off um, and then put them back on again, the brain wouldn't be able to revisit that. It could only revisit it if they kept them on for a full 30 days. That's where this whole habit sort of, uh, this, this thing that people talk about a lot comes from but there, there you go so our brain is capable of doing some extraordinary things that we, we would never have thought of and uh, the unconscious mind is responsible for taking care of everything so if, um, if there's a problem somewhere it's because it's got confused usually yeah. Yeah, totally. I absolutely agree. Now, now you just, I think this is a really great link onto pain management because as we talked again off mic was how we can really tap into our own ability to manage pain in, in a remarkable way. Can you please sort of shed a little bit, like remind, like tell the listeners some of the stuff that we were talking about before, which is about how you can use maybe some of the things that you work with to help women who are going through labor to manage pain so that they, that whole fear of pain that I think dominates so many women can be managed or dealt with for them. Well, so one of the first things to say is that physically, when we introduce all of those fear chemicals, so the uh, cortisol and adrenaline, all those other chemicals that are released, every time we get tense or stressed, we activate the fight or flight response. Um, And what happens to the body's ability to labor, to, you know, deliver a baby is it's strained. So all of a sudden the womb, which has got a big job to do, it's designed to, you know, push the baby into the world, is suddenly stuck. And it struggles with all of this stress. And the, they've shown in scientific research that the amount of women who've had to have emergency cesareans um, have all got a lack of oxygen. There's not enough oxygen in the womb and in the muscles to actually push baby. And that's because they're not breathing properly because they're in panic and they're tense and they're sending tension into their body. And so that that's a physiological thing. That's a physiological response to pain. Uh, sorry, to the way our mind is working. Now, the thing about our mind is it is obviously, you know, it's designed to do good stuff. <laughs> it's it. When you think about the miracle of what having a baby actually is, the miracle of, of becoming pregnant, this cell joins with this you know, this egg joins with the sperm and the cells will start to divide, divide, and every cell knows what its job is. It knows it's going to be hair follicles and it knows it's going to be skin. It knows it's going to be... Or it's just amazing and miraculous. And the same thing is true of our mind's connection to our body. So our unconscious mind is our body. 
there used to be a time when the body was one thing and the mind was another thing and the two things were separate unfortunately the medical profession still <laughs> does that and it subdivides it even further it doesn't even recognize that all the systems of the body all work together and so when you're actually going into um laboring and, and having a baby and I know with natural childbirthing, there are other phrases that are used um, because they don't like the word labor because it re makes reference to work. But, you know, I love my work, so I don't have anything <laughs> negative to say about that. Um, it's very fulfilling as far as I'm concerned. So it's just an easy word to use rather than some of the extended uh, words. So hopefully if anybody is doing natural childbirth and listening to this, then you'll forgive me for the use of that word. Anyway, so what um, is really, really important is the ability to recognize how powerful your mind is in terms of its acceptance of pain. Okay, so pain is designed to tell you there's something wrong. That's that's what its job is. Let you know, excuse me, hello, you know, there's a problem here. You need to address it. Uh, we've got to get something fixed. And that's why levels of pain depend on the type of injury that you, you might have had. So theoretically, what that suggests is that all you need to do is go, oh, OK, I heard you. Thanks for letting me know. I'll go and put a plaster on that or I'll put the cold tap on it or whatever I, I need to do. Or I'll pop down the hospital and get it sewn up, you know, whatever, whatever the injury is, then the pain will go away. But because of our indoctrination, our beliefs in society, we don't realize that that's what we're capable of achieving. We're actually capable of, of dismissing and not noticing pain. So I don't know how that sounds to you, Alexia, but that's literally what it comes down to. I'll elaborate more. There are countless stories of people who've done extraordinary things who should not have been able to do them because they should have been in too much pain. For example, something having their arm ripped off by a combine harvester and with the other arm picking it up. The, you know the, the arm that's come picking it up with the other arm no bleeding so that's the other thing that's that's how miraculous our body is no bleeding and no pain I feel nothing get to help and then all of a sudden everything starts you know the bleeding will start and the pain will, will, will start because the mind has managed to protect them because the mind knows if you are incapacitated through pain you are not going to survive so it forces that uh, those sensations to disappear other other incidents of, of, of people who should not have been alive you know they've been freezing cold temperatures they should have been in extreme pain and then they're rescued from the water and they die <laughs> but then they're brought back to life again um but that's because they were able to stay alive in circumstances that are way beyond what we should be able to stay alive in until they were rescued and then the moment they're rescued they can let go of that they let go of that and then other people take over and bring them back uh but there, there's loads and loads and loads of stories of, of people who don't feel pain lots of um you know i've read you can imagine lots and lots and lots of journals and lots and lots of uh, studies and spoken with lots of other people who use the mind in this way to to not have pain and, and there are so many stories and i'll just share a, a personal story um with you about myself um where I had uh, cystitis. Ladies know what this, this feels like <laughs> or what it can feel like. So and it was actually a kidney infection. I know cystitis is some sort of, you know, infection, but basically it started really late in the evening and I'd gone to bed and I was up again two seconds later in the bathroom. Obviously, I didn't need to go to the loo, but that sensation was there. And I developed I suppose an anxiety because I thought oh I'm not going to get any sleep 
and this is going to keep me awake all night and I'm going to keep my husband awake and you know blah 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 so off I went down on this you know tangent of anxiety inducing stress inducing thoughts and naturally it made me feel quite stressed so that didn't help (laughs) to uh, get me off to sleep so I took myself off downstairs and I thought right distraction that's all I need distraction put on the television oh my word no it actually just increasingly got worse and it was quite clear that it was a bit of a virulent um, infection because it was it was increasing in pain and uh, discomfort rapidly to the point where I ended up in tears and I had to go and get my husband and say we need to go somewhere you know we need help (laughs) I can't cope with this and but what I'd been doing before that was I was having a conversation with myself I was saying okay then so I've got this one half of my mind that's saying look Leah you know what to do with this you don't have to feel this you know how to shut down pain and the other half of me is going yes but I've got an infection and I need a doctor and I'm going to need some treatment and if I don't get that quickly then I'm going to have to suffer for ages and ages and ages and the other half of me is going yeah but just think about what Milton Erickson used to do with people who have pain he just used to teach them how to disassociate from the pain and think about something that doesn't feel or give themselves the right kind of suggestion and then you wouldn't you wouldn't have to feel anything so and then the other half's going yes but right now I'm suffering and I can't cope and I don't think I can do this so in the end something in me said just do something you need to just take some action so I that was waking up husband <laughs> and getting him to take me to the walk-in center at night did the test and of course it came back um he very quickly as you know being a pretty nasty infection and then he gave me this bag it was like a flipping sack full of antibiotics because they couldn't tell without doing further tests which would take three days which type of infection it was uh, viral or bacterial or whatever uh, so i would have to take all of the medications um but you know what i didn't need it i didn't need any because I took the action that my scary mind said I had to take, which was to have confirmation from a medical person what's wrong. Don't know. I haven't been able to fully rationalise that, but it's embedded, you know, from childhood. The doctor knows. See the doctor. The doctor will tell you. The doctor will cure you. The doctor will fix you. Um, But the other half of my mind is going, don't be ridiculous. You don't need any of that help. Although at the time, I will say, I didn't necessarily think I was going to cure myself of an infection, my perception was still at the time that I would need antibiotics because that's what I had been brought up to believe. Um, and when when I arrived, I went into this very peaceful state, literally as soon as I got back in the car, I was in this lovely peaceful state. And I got home and I was thinking, well, it seems to have, have, have not, isn't it? it's not bothering me so much now. So I sort of sat myself back on the sofa thinking obviously it's not going to go away yet um you know I've, I've got to work out what i'm going to do about taking all of these tablets sent hubby off off to bed again and then i just took this deep breath and i felt this wave of numbness and it started in my chest area and it was this numbing sensation it just kind of went all the way down to my feet and that was the suggestion that i'd been using before we went off to the doctor's just numb that it just feels numb everything's numb because then your mind knows what the word numb means you can't feel anything if something's numb there's no feeling there's no sensation you know it's there like if you've fallen asleep on your arm um you've the first sensation is a feeling of it's not connected you know it's it's detached and you've got to wait for the sensation to come back again which can be quite peculiar 
but I know what, so I know what numb feels like. And I know if I put my hand in a, a bucket of ice water, it would go numb. So I know what numb feels like. My mind knows what numb feels like. So constantly saying to myself, it's numb, it's numb, it's going numb, it's going numb. Even though I was having that battle with myself and two conversations going on, that is the suggestion that finally took root. It took root once I'd got rid of any reason to be anxious. As soon as the anxiety had gone, the sensation, you know, came about. And the funny thing was, it never returned. You know, the the, the infection symptoms never returned. And I spoke to a, a medical person about it, and they said, oh, sounds a bit like you managed to achieve um, homeostasis. There you go. I'd achieved homeostasis. And that had killed the infection. So you, Actually, didn't, take the, like, so you didn't take the antibiotics? Not, no, nothing. I, did, I didn't have any pain relief, no antibiotics, nothing. And it was, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, given that I had just been tested and it was proven, you know, that the test showed that it was a virulent uh, infection that I was able to cure myself that quickly um, gave me a lot of faith. But then I, I've worked with lots of people who have health conditions that are supposedly incurable that somehow remedy themselves when they deal with what's causing the problems in their mind and, and so that's why over a period of, of, of a, well few years really I just developed this questionnaire where I'd actually ask people if they had common health conditions and even though that's not why they were coming to see me I wanted to be able to just start noting if that's gone away do their migraines disappear is the acne oh, not acne all sorts of skin conditions lots of skin conditions irritable bowel other anxieties and sleep disorders and things, even if they came to see me for something completely unrelated. Um, I wanted to know if those things got better in any way Um, because I've worked with lots of people who've been to every specialist in the country and spent fortunes on tests and things and then recovered when they've dealt with something in their mind, something that's affecting them physically. So it's not psychosomatic because we get confused about that Um, and it's still obviously not completely understood because if you would say to some medical people that working on the mind can help with fertility, other than stress, they, which they understand, um, they would think you're some kind of a woo-woo idiot. <laughs> but then I, that's my whole approach with the way that I work, is I always assume, I work from the assumption that any physical symptom you have has got an emotional reason behind it. Work on the emotion. And often, and it's always been when I work on myself, and I used it a lot throughout my own pregnancy, when I had any strong pregnancy symptoms, I'd first try and uncover the trapped emotion the unresolved emotion work on that first and then often my symptoms would just fall away and I found that I didn't really need to resort to any kind of medication not that you can when you're pregnant but a lot of my stuff would literally just fall away once I'd address the emotional stuff so that is that is absolutely like my approach and I've even had women that I've worked with who now come to me going oh can you sort out my acne please and I'm like no no I don't that's not the way I work like it might stop as a result of our work together but don't come to me with your request to stop yeah. happening. I, you know <clears throat> but that is that's definitely there is so much of a link between the two that we really need to acknowledge it and really be open to it I think yeah I've also studied miraculous recoveries so that's when they've actually done full research on people who've had um a life-threatening disease they might be literally on their way out in some cases and recovery full recovery and the, the nocebo and the placebo effect are enormously powerful. And if you could patent that, <laughs> you know, I mean, a lot of people don't know what nocebo is, but nocebo is literally the opposite of placebo, just for the listeners. Um, placebo is when, say, a 
new drug is being released, they will do a placebo. So they want to test the placebo versus the tablet versus the nothing and see if, if people recover. And that's what they're really testing. And there's always a percentage of people who recover with the placebo, which means those people believed that they were taking the right medication and it worked. Equally, nocebo, which is why when my sister was having her daughter, she had a three-day labour. And I was with her the whole time. And that was just one of those very unusual um, things. That what, ha- what happened with her was unusual, very unusual. And she said afterwards, she said, I really think that I was just anx- anxious about the actual birth bit. And if I'd acknowledged that before, then, you know, because I'm her sister, not her therapist or her, you know, coach. She wanted me to be with her because she knew that I, you know, had had three children on my own at the time. I knew what I was doing. And obviously, I could coach her with the pain management side. So she, um, I what I actually, this is what I was speaking to you about before. I encouraged her to identify something that in her mind, it had to be right in her mind, in her mind, something that she knew felt nothing. So bearing in mind, prior to that, I'd already numbed myself. So I just would think about things that had no feelings. So I think about a lump of wood, or I think about ice and how you numb yourself and you know I know what numb is so I asked her to do the same thing and I asked her to think about something that had no feeling and she could identify with it and focus on on it to the extent that the midwife said it's very difficult to actually tell how you're doing because you're so calm because even though she'd been in labor for three days um and it culminated in a cesarean because she did not was not able to get baby out because of baby's position um But when the doctor came in to do his nocebo work, (laughs) which is where he told her all the bad things that could happen, I just talked over him. And I sat in her ear and I gave her all of these hypnotic suggestions. And when somebody's in a mindset, because birthing is very trance-like, the whole thing is very trance-like. There's a lot of normal uh, unconscious uh, activity that just takes over. Your body knows what to do. Your mind knows what to do. They're working together beautifully. And it's only medical stuff that gets in the way, actually. (laughs) They tend to interrupt, although not so much now, I have to say, because the recent uh, birthing that I was uh, participated in was brilliant compared to historically. The way they do things today, all the midwives are loving the fact that I'm there. They're all excited and they want to know what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And they're listening. You know, they come in the room and listen to what I was saying. And all of what I was doing was suggestions that she could have given herself, you know, uh, and the same thing with my sister, she could have done it herself, but I, they asked me to be there because one was a very good friend and one was my sister. So I would get her to think about it. I would get her to think about, and she chose a meadow because it was very relaxing and open. So open is a word that, you know, resonates with the womb and the cervix and everything opening. So was, the meadow was open. It was sunny. It was warm. It was comfortable. She was in a water bath at the time. So that felt lovely and comfortable. And she thought about a log. So whenever she got a contraction and she wanted to numb that sensation or a surge, whatever you want to call it, or an urge, uh, there's various words that, you know, more politically correct where child, but natural childbirthing is concerned, that they would, um, that she would just focus on that log because the log couldn't feel anything. And that's all she had to keep thinking about. So it was about identifying with something that has no sensation and or just using the word numb. Now, if you were actually doing this, well, I say properly, I mean, it worked. So, um, but you you could start with, 
a technique to practice numbing long before you actually head towards having your baby, long before the day the baby's coming. You will be practicing all of these techniques. You'll practice your breathing because conscious breathing is proven to change everything in the in the body systems and calms everything down. The more oxygen your womb has, the more work it can do in the right way. Um, the more relaxed you are, the less cortisol and any of those negative chemicals are being released into the body. So the easier and more relaxed. Because the other thing those those stress hormones do is they exaggerate pain. They actually make literally make it worse. So if you, if you don't want to feel any pain for whatever reason, headache, uh, you know, you've broke your arm or whatever, then relax. And you really do need to completely relax and just zone out. In fact, that's what I, I did with my pregnancies, uh, with my births. I But I didn't know that I was doing hypnosis as such. Mm. I just did it. It was an automatic. And my sister said, my other sister, my other sister. But she, so she was with me when I had the last one. And she was like, I can't believe, you know, you're all right in there. Because <laughs> I was just zoning out. I actually said to her, could you stop talking, please? <laughs> because she kept interrupting me. Because, you know, unless someone's actually giving you very specific instructions that are in line with what you need to hear, then they should just shut up. You know, and, and, and actually everyone in the room needs to shut up, the husband and the midwives and everybody else. I think midwives pretty much know this. Midwives will give you a massage, get you to focus on your breathing. Midwives know, they understand and actually, the midwives I spoke with just recently um, said to me, you can tell the difference between the mothers who've done training in childbirth um, hypnosis and trance and relaxation. You can tell them when they walk through the door because they're fully in control and they know exactly what they're doing and they know what they're going to do. And, and she said they have the easiest births, the easiest births. Babies come out quicker. Everybody's happier. Er, no, no complications. It's all good stuff. So there it is, ladies. You just need to put the time in and prepare. And absolutely. You, just, you just shared some absolute gold there in terms of what women can do to help them to manage the pain because that's so many that's such a big fear for so many women is the fear of pain. And many of them will choose to have a C section or just accept all loads of drugs for pain relief when really that isn't necessarily gonna be the best thing for them or baby in the long run. So just being able to manage that through the mind is brilliant because pain is a mental construct for the most part. And if we can kind of tap into that, then then save us a lot of stuff. So thank you so much, Leah, for sharing what you've just shared because I think a lot of women are gonna be like, I'm gonna practice being a log in a field now. That's what I'm gonna do. It's a log in a field. It's such a great visual image as well for all those reasons you described. It's just excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Now, we did talk about as well about potentially having a little bit of a free download to go with the episode, didn't we? Tell us about that, Leah. Yes, yeah, so I'm putting together a, um, now, as I said to you before, I, I knew that I wanted it to be very relevant to what women will benefit from, uh, but I wanted to really kind of um, solidify that whilst we were talking. So I, what I'm going to do is I'm, I, the download will be the technique for helping you to maintain this calm state and numb the pain 
So that's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you some steps to practice so that you can actually develop this for yourself. And the more you do it, I promise you, this works in everything. You'll find yourself doing it with your children when they fall over or, you know, somebody's just banging their head on the door. You'll know what to say and how to say it so that you take their attention away from the pain and onto feeling what they need to feel, which is calm and relaxed. And really to reassure the unconscious mind that, yeah, I heard you. I know it's all good. We're all, we're all OK. And, and distraction. So I've, I've got that. And that can be found at um, enhancedlifenow.co forward slash Alexia. Lovely. Well, thank you so much, Leah, for coming up with that free week for to go with today's episode. I'm sure there are going to be loads of women diving in to getting that from you. Now, is there, would you mind, so that you just shared a web address with the listeners there. Is that where people can find out more about you? And if not, is there somewhere else that they can dive in and find out more about you and your work? Uh, well, obviously, I've got places all over the place. You know, the usual Facebook. I've got a Facebook group. We do a little bit of um, enhanced life stuff and Facebook page. I do the occasional live streaming. Uh, but enhancedlifenow.co is where you'll find me. And then from there, you can head into the to the Facebook world if that's your, your thing. Obviously, you can find me on Twitter as well. So, yeah, all over the show. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for sharing so much wisdom today and especially how so much of it applies to birth and pregnancy and fertility. So thank you once again, Leah, for joining me on the Fear Free Childbirth podcast. You're welcome. It's been brilliant. Thank you, Alexia. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to Leah. She certainly shared a load of really interesting stuff that I hope is going to help you to maybe unravel what might be going on for you in your pregnancy. So if you want to get the download that she talked about during the chat, then what you need to do is go to this link. You need to go to enhancedlifenow.co forward slash Alexia and that little download is waiting for you right there. So don't hesitate, pop along, go and get it. It sounds amazing based on what she was saying. And also don't forget if you're pregnant and you want help to get your birth prep sorted, then don't forget to come and join us on the Fearless Birth Prep Challenge, which starts next week. To join the challenge, you just need to go to fearfreechildbirth.com forward slash challenge. And we will be doing the five day challenge together. So I'm going to be helping you to think through the important steps of your birth preparation so you can really focus on what's important and cut through all the stuff out there that might be confusing you and overwhelming you. And we will be doing it all together. There'll be lots of things happening in the Fear Free Childbirth Facebook group. I've got loads of Facebook lives with some expert guests that are going to come and join us to help you to figure out what is going on for your pregnancy and prepare for your birth with confidence. So hopefully you will come and join us. To join us, you just go to fearfreechildbirth.com forward slash challenge. Okay, that's it for this week. See you next week. Bye for now. You've just been listening to me, Alexia Leachman, here on the Fear Free Childbirth podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, this is just a wee reminder that if you'd like to listen to bonus podcast episodes and have access to loads of birth preparation downloads, my video mini series on reducing your fears and so much more, then join the Fearless Mamership community today. You can join at fearfreechildbirth.com. Until next time, bye for now.